God, I thank you. God, I praise you, Lord, and God, and I ask you, Lord, to move in a mighty way in this service, O oh God. Lord, minister, O oh God, through your word, O oh Lord. God, I pray right now, God, you will touch a heart, O oh God. Plant the seed, O oh God, let it grow, O oh God. Take hold, O oh Lord. God, if we have ears to hear, O oh God, let us hear, O oh God, what your word has to say this morning. God, I pray, God, that you will just move and overshadow this house this morning, O oh God. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. God, have your way, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. I know I'm not Brother Justin, but I'll try to do this justice. Amen. Hopefully I can, you know, make him proud. Amen. Again, our lesson, lesson 10 for August 8th. If we can stand for the reading God's word, I'm sorry. Uh, Lesson text is Micah chapter 6. Verses 6 through 8. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before my God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed thee O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Micah chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, and then 18 through 20. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall. I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Skipping down to verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. Thank God for compassion. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth of Jacob, and the mercy to Abraham, which has sworn unto our fathers from the day of old. Amen. Thank you for standing. Now you may be seated. The time of our lesson is the God of our salvation. God will give salvation and deliverance to those who live as God desires. You can't live all willy-nilly and do what you want to and expect to have the salvation. Excuse me. I looked up salvation through Webster's Dictionary, and the first uh, definition it said uh, is a preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. The second definition, it said theology next to it. Deliverance from sin and its consequences. Believed by Christians to be brought about by faith in Christ. Amen. Salvation is the God of our deliverance. When manufacturers produce a machine, they place it on the market with a detailed set of instructions on how it is to be operated. Although they attempt to make the instructions understandable, 
Often they require the new operator to read them several times to fully understand. If you've ever put a piece of furniture together, you'll understand that. Amen. One reason new operators of these machines have trouble is because they think they can figure it out without reading the instructions. The God of our salvation left us a detailed book of instructions. These are not only a way to get to heaven, but a way to live successfully in this present world. Unfortunately, many people believe they can get by without reading the instructions. For this reason, they make a mess of their lives and risk missing heaven. This machine, the human body and soul, operates more smoothly and efficiently when we follow the guidelines of God's instructions book, the Bible. Amen. Got to read the owner's manual. In the book of Micah, God called the attention to many spiritual problems of Judah and highlighted its glaring injustice. Micah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 states, Woe to them that divide iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it, because it is the power of their hand. And they covet fields and take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. Nothing is closer to a man's heart other than God than his house, his possessions, and his family. To lose these in any manner is a traumatic loss. But when these things are taken by force, it's not only a traumatic loss, it's a gross injustice that arrests the attention of God. God is a God of equity or impartial justice. According to Psalm seven or 75, verse 7, God records all the injustices of the world in the world and holds the guilty responsible. Being God's chosen people did not exempt Judah from his rebuke and retribution for their injustice. It is not uncommon for loving parents to be partially blind to their misdeeds of their children. Amen. People, we, I'm sorry, perhaps we are all guilty of allowing love to blind us. Amen. How many times we turn a blind eye to, uh, it's just a little sin. We'll just, you know, we'll overlook that one. But God, whose love for us is far greater than our love for our children, does not allow his love to blind him against the misdeeds of his people. That little sin that we might overlook, God sees it. He's going to take notice. God let you to know they would pay in sickness and desolation for their evil deeds. It is a common response among evildoers to feel they are getting by. But no one is getting by, for we all must stand before him one day and give an account of the deeds done in his, this body. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 10. God knows how to get our attention. Unfortunately, our attention is often not easily attained. Sometimes he has to go what we call drastic measures. Ideally, God should only have to speak to us once. But frequently, our attention is arrested only by more desperate means. Sickness and desolation are some of the methods God uses. Just look at Job. Chapter 33, verse 14 through 22, and then 29 through 30. 
When sickness interrupts our schedule, we begin thinking more seriously. And you start asking that question, you know, why me? You know, what what have I done to 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 cause this to come upon me? If our attitude had been frivolous and careless relative to spiritual things, a sobering presence replaces all of that. With this newly opened attitude, God is able to reach us more readily. You get sick, down on your luck, or or flat on your back, or whatever. You start, you know, God, why me? You know, what what have I done? You start asking the questions. And he may not have done anything. He just wants you to want you to stop for a second and listen. The word just in the New Testament is translated from a Greek word meaning equitable in character or act by implication, innocent, holy, righteous. In the Old Testament, just has the meaning of what is right, what is pronounced right judicially or justice. According to the definition of just, to please God, we must be holy, righteous, innocent, and do what is equitable. We must remember that our first obligation is to please Him. For pleasing God leads to obedience, which is a tantamount to salvation. If we will be careful to please God in all things, we will not only be right, but we'll be more often right with our neighbor. You can't, you can't uh, be right with God and be mean or rude to other people. Hateful. Because God is love. And if you got God in you, then you're going to show, show out his love. There is something about justice that creates an atmosphere of com- compatibility. Simply being right with God often makes us right with our family and neighbors. To do justly could easily be interpreted as do what is right. If you do what's right uh, in this life, you stay out of trouble with the law, and you're, you're, you're considered to be a just person. This requirement is a response to three major laws. God's law, man's law, and our law. God's law is his word, the Bible. Man's law is primarily the rules set by governments and all the local laws set forth. Our law is the inborn set of principles God has placed in every man and woman. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 through 15 says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. Without God's mercy, we would not be alive or saved today. If you look at Genesis, I, I read that during I was studying this, and God quickened uh, to my mind Noah. 
It says God had, in Genesis chapter six, verse six through eight, God had repented to himself that he had created man and was wanting to destroy man. But it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. God's mercy saved Noah and his family. Otherwise we'd all been uh they'd been all been wiped clean and we wouldn't be here today. Only by his mercy are we constituents of his kingdom. For this reason, we are committed to love his mercy. The power that drives this commitment is not obligation. It is, it is genuine love. I would be foolish for us not to love the very reason for our salvation. Although the words love and mercy occur as a command in Micah 6 and 8, we should not need a command to love mercy. Mercy is too wonderful not to love. Commands are for those things that are not easily obeyed. Loving mercy is easy. It is, a natural, it is as natural to a believer as breathing. However, the difficult part is loving mercy enough that we extend it to those we may feel do not deserve it. But before we withhold mercy, let us remember we have also been in need of mercy when we did not deserve it. That's good. As we are commanded to love mercy, we are offered a blessing for doing so. Matthew 5 and 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. No one can be called merciful who does not love mercy. Therefore, if we love mercy and are merciful, we are promised that we shall obtain mercy. This promise is a blessing that is, uh, that is a benefit to believers. Lord, give me mercy. Let me be merciful. Mm. You know the old saying, what, what goes around comes around? That, that, that just fits right there so well. You be mean to somebody, it's going to come back to you. If you're nice, it's going to come back to you that way as well. If you show your mercy. In Micah 6 and 8, the word humbly is translated from a root word meaning lowly. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 and 6. We cannot have faith without trust. It is not possible to trust God when we are trusting ourselves. Pride is the attitude of trusting ourselves. There we go. We're back to the original sin. There are other reasons God requires believers to walk humbly. Jesus came to earth in the role of a servant. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. He was our example. According to 1 Peter 2 and 21, we should follow his steps. How merciful was Jesus? Mercy all the way to the cross. Humility allows God to receive the glory, for all glory belongs to him 
In Isaiah 42 and verse 8, it's written, My glory will I give, will I not give to another. Pride robs him of his glory. For this reason, we must walk humbly. Our ultimate purpose is to please God. For pleasing God is what salvation is all about. He is the Savior of the world and the only Savior. Therefore, he is the only one who can give salvation. Psalms 3 and 8 says, Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. It is obvious that salvation can only be obtained by pleasing or obeying God. However, salvation is a choice. No one can decide for us. Contrary to the precepts of Calvinism, we must personally choose whether we want to be saved or lost. Blaming God for circumstances that make it more difficult to be victorious is no excuse for being lost. We are blessed with benefits for pleasing the Lord. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Proverbs 16 and 7. Amen. You got you consider your worst enemy because you know everybody seems to have one. Amen. But when you're pleasing God, it's amazing how they tend to leave you alone. You're at peace with your enemies. The word mercy in the New Testament is translated from the Greek word meaning compassion and pity. If God did not love us. He would never have come to save us. I'll say that again. If God did not love us, he would have never come to save us. As Brother Moses said many times before, we'd be a, we would be a greasy spot. He'd just do away with us. Seeing humanity mired in iniquity, he put on flesh and then visited and redeemed us. It was only by his compassion and pity, his great mercy, that he came to save us. Matthew 9 and 13, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Micah seven eighteen used the term delighteneth when referring to mercy. God does not show mercy because he feels obligated. It is not something that we earn. Mercy is an unmerited, uninherited act of love. Because he loves us. He chose mercy. That second chance you always ask for when you mess up. Oh, just give me a second chance. Mercy gives you that second chance. Lord knows I've asked for him. Almighty God showed compassion when he manifested himself in human flesh and came to this earth as a man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's John 3.16. 
the incarnation has something, or I'm sorry, the incarnation was something he did not have, he did not have to do. He did not create us or visit us in flesh because he was lonely. He had the angels to to be with him. They're they're made to worship him. So he wasn't lonely. He had the spiritual beings with him. He didn't. Have, he wasn't lonely. He not only showed compassion by coming to this world and dying for lost humanity, but he shows compassion daily. Simply put, God's compassion was not just something wonderful in the past. It is something wonderful in the present. As humans, we find it difficult to understand his compassion because we are all too familiar with the doing something for what is in it concept. If I do this, how do I benefit? What can I get in return? That's not compassion or mercy. Yes, sir, self-serving. Too often our good deeds are done with an underlying expectation of something in return. I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me. How about just doing it because you want to, you know, you love them, you want to be nice. But God became one of us to help us with no guarantee of anything in return. He stepped out of heaven, off the throne, put on this flesh, died on the cross with the hope that we would love back. Not because he's, you know, I'm going to do this so you're going to love me. I'm doing this and I hope you will, but I'm going to do it anyway because I love you. And that's the attitude we should have. In contrast, he knew that when he came, the very people to whom he came would be the ones to crucify him. He cares unconditionally. He came to this earth knowing that the ones he came to love, the ones that he loved, would ultimately reject him and kill him. My God, he did it anyway. Mm. That's that's compassion, love, mercy. It's all. It's the perfect example. Salvation is simply living as God desires. Simply put, although this statement may sound easy, it is not. Because we are flesh. We have a lot of desires that originate in carnality. And, di- and are diametrically opposed to God. To please Him is to do what He wants, not what we want. Oh, that's hard to do. So flesh wants to take take hold, take lead. Even Jesus in His prayer said, "Not my will, but Thine be done." Luke twenty two and forty two. Because the ever-growing conflict between our will and God's will, 
We are in a constant struggle. This flesh wants to take lead. It wants to be the top dog, if you if you will. But we've got to learn to put that flesh back where it belongs. Let God's will be be first. But there's a great reward when we find victory in this struggle. Not only does victory yield peace, but it will eventually yield eternal life with the God of our salvation. When you let God's will be done, and you and your flesh takes the back seat, as I've heard it called before, things go so much smoother. And when you try to no, I got this, God. You you take the back seat. I'll make a total mess of things. Y'all y'all might be perfect can do it, but I'm making a total mess of things. Amen. We must be concerned about what we are doing to please God. When we read the Bible, we need to feel that it was written to us personally, not just some words in a book. When Jesus says in his word, I go to prepare a place for you, John 14 and 2, we should take the you to mean us. He's talking directly to me. I'm going to prepare a place for Adam. Go prepare. I'm coming. Amen. All the promises to the New Testament believers apply to each of us personally. If we apply this scripture, the Bible will not seem like an ancient book written to a distant people, but to us. Amen. I need salvation. I want salvation. I need to be compassionate. I need to be merciful. That's my prayers to Lord forgive me if I'm not showing compassion or not showing that mercy that you want me to. Amen. We can all stand this morning. Close with prayer and then we'll take a, a short break uh, for the other.